Hi there, you're listening to The Imposters, the podcast series for PhD students by PhD students. I am your host, Francesca Vaghi, and in today's episode, we will be talking about multitasking and finding a work-life balance. Joining me in the studio are Marcello Francioni from the Department of Anthropology at SOAS and Carla Cervantes Barron from the Department of Engineering at the University of Cambridge. Thank you for tuning to SOAS Radio and welcome once again to The Imposters. Hi, I'm the perfect thesis title that came to you when you were drunk and right before you fell into a coma for four years. And now it's time to submit. I'm Marcello. And I'm the Jet Setter PhD, Carla. I'm the student that thought that you could do a PhD as a nine to five job. I'm Fran. <laughs> Welcome both to today's show. Uh, Marcello thought that we could start today's uh, session doing something a bit different, and so that was great. I'm sure you'll explain where, where that came from. So as I said in the introduction, today we'll be talking about multitasking, both kind of academic uh, side things that we have to do, like funding applications, journal articles, uh, you name it. And then we'll also be talking kind of about life stuff. So part-time jobs, uh, sports, just life. <laughs> um, so we'll be talking a bit about that. And it's a really great pleasure to welcome, finally, before uh, I leave my uh, role as um, podcast host, a person that isn't in the social sciences. So Carla, <laughs> thank you very much for being here. So uh, yes, Marcello, why don't you get us started and you tell us uh, first how you came up with this or where the inspiration came from for the introductions and your research. Okay, the inspiration for this um, introduction comes from one of my favorite YouTube series called uh, um, You can find it on YouTube and it's made by two of my favorite drag queens ever, Trixie Mattel and, and Katya. So go check it out. It's fun. I can post a link on the uh, podcast episode. So, But tell us about your research, please. Oh, oh, right. My research is about nightlife in Japan. So basically, I worked for a year in a gay bar in Tokyo. And my research is about the service industry and the glamorous life of crying basically every night <laughs> um <laughs> and you're in fourth year as am i right yes i am fourth year um hopefully seeing the light at the end of the tunnel next september yes yes thank you carla mm -hmm. i'm working on energy services which means uh looking at the consumption of of energy and what it's used for I, I have an interest in looking at different countries and so I've been doing case studies from Uganda to um, looking more globally at, at what's happening at, at, um, at an international level. And how did you both become interested in this topic or what makes you passionate about your discipline? I never really knew that I was interested in this topic particularly. I kind of stumbled upon it because... Originally, my research was slightly different, and I thought of going into the gay bar industry just as a as a way to get what I wanted to get for my research. Turns out, um, I just got stuck <laughs> with that. 
which is fine. And I'm very happy with the research I have now. But yeah, life is a mystery. <laughs> yeah, it's a mystery for sure. Um, I did a different type of engineering before this PhD. And then I started specializing in in energy during my master's and then looked a bit more at, um, you know, at, at other countries. Um, then I started during the master's, for instance, I I was working for, well, I was doing this dissertation with a company that has systems in in East Africa. And so that's kind of the way I started transitioning into looking at energy. And then I, I went further with the PhD and, and I'm now in this group that is called uh, Resource Efficiency Collective. And so what we like to do is... Uh, take a look at, at the the whole systems, let's say, and understand what's happening from an energy and materials perspective, which is really interesting um, for lots of countries for different reasons. And it makes sense because a lot of uh, places are focused on reducing um, energy consumption or there's lots of discussions on how to reduce emissions. So achieving resource efficiency is one way of doing that. Mm, super interesting. Very different to what Marcello and I are used to, I think, in our in our own uh, little anthropology bubble. Well, she is actually saving the world, so. <laughs> well, I wouldn't exactly say that. But yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, Marcello, you already kind of hinted at this, but uh, are there any particular challenges or highlights that you've had in your PhD career so far before we move on? I don't know. I mean, this far I'm kind of happy that I'm almost halfway through or more than halfway through, even though I have like a part-time job as well. So that's in itself, I would say, a huge victory for my mm. PhD. And I'm still dead and not wrinkly. So <laughs> that's victory. So uh, something that we, so that I'm guessing we do differently from the social sciences is that we don't really work on our chapters um, early on, but rather we just look at, at all this you know we all do all this data analysis for instance um and and really kind of narrow down our scopes and then try and, and write or produce um the thesis but at the very end so one thing that has been challenging for me is for instance choose one topic mm -hmm. and, and kind of stick to it and and really like dig a lot into it uh, because I'm interested in quite a few things. So I, I kind of test out different things or, or want to try out different things. So narrowing down is one thing. And then there's another challenge with getting um, your skills up to date. And so a thing that I had to do was um, to learn more uh, languages, like uh, programming languages. So um, getting up to speed with Python or, or, you know, learning a lot more about statistics. Yeah, it's just interesting. Again, very far from where we are. Boo statistics. <laughs> <laughs> Boo statistics. So before we move on to the, to the kind of uh, meat of today's discussion, we are going to go into a musical interlude and the first song is one that Marcello uh, chose, 20-something by Za. Siza? Siza. Oopsie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not in the early 20s anymore, but still not 30 yet. So I thought that um, the song kind of encapsulated the feeling that most people have before they reach 
a full maturity, especially before like getting your life together. Mm. And I think that PhD students, most of the times are still figuring out so much about their lives. And maybe, yeah, I mean, it's less tragic than she portrays it because uh, I don't think I have like any friends in, who are like, I don't know, uh, almost dying, but um, or in danger of death. But um, the feeling underlying, I think, fits. Thank you. How you ain't say you was moving forward? Honesty hurts when you get older. I gotta say I miss the way you need me. Yeah. Why you ain't say you was getting bored? Why you ain't say I was falling short? How you leave me out so far away? How could it be 20 something all alone still? Not a thing get my name. Ain't got nothing running from love, all in no fear. That's me, Miss 20 something. Ain't got nothing running from love, wish you were here. Stuck in them 20 somethings. Stuck in them 20 somethings. Good luck on them 20 somethings. Good luck on them 20 somethings. God bless these 20 somethings. Great. So the first part of today's uh, discussion will be about academic multitasking. So something that I asked uh, Marcello and Carla to think about a bit was their experiences with teaching, writing journal articles conferences, applying for funding, <laughs> you name it. I just wanted to hear a bit about your experiences doing all of or a combination of these. Uh, Marcello, if you want to start. Oh, yeah, I would say that juggling things is the real task of probably a PhD life. Also because many people think that doing a PhD is just about doing re your research, but what you're actually doing is basically setting up your career. So um, there is a lot of expectation that go into um, your going into a PhD. And then as soon as you start writing, there's always something coming next. So before you go to field work for uh, as anthropologist is you have to prepare a lot because you need to set up your field work. Then when you go to field work, you have to set up your writing up. Then when you're writing up, you have to set up for whatever it is, the viva, the thesis. And then you also need to write an article because God forbid, if you don't have two <laughs> articles by the end of a PhD, you are never going to get a job. And then you have to go to conferences because you have to make relations, like build relationships with people. And then it's all very overwhelming. And sometimes uh, this year, I, I think I almost did the impossible. And if I look back, if I look back in four or five years, I was like, what? How did you do it? But I went to like a bunch of conferences. I am writing a chapter for a book and yeah, and I've been working part-time, uh, sometimes doing two part-time jobs. I mean, sometimes people, humans surprise you. Yeah. You can do things. Yeah. No, I, I think your energy levels are admirable, really. I don't know how you do it. Do you feel... Drugs. <laughs> <laughs> no. Don't do it, kids. Yeah, don't, don't do drugs. Green tea is really good. It keeps you up. <laughs> legal <laughs> and cheapish um you know i think you kind of have hinted at why we have to do these things do you feel like 
having had the experiences of conferences and writing journals and uh, excellent news about the book chapter. Um, Thank you. Is this something you feel has enriched your experience as a PhD student or has been just hell? It depends how you tackle the, especially the conferences. They can be very useful if you are in the process of formulating your own thoughts about some kind of topic. It's really useful because you can present material that you're not 100% sure of, but you can try and give it a shape and then test it on the road. So I think in that case, um, for me, participating in oh, a couple of conferences actually helped me shape chapters that now I have written. And also the feedback that you get right after a conference is really, really useful. So in that case, if you find a way of I don't know, finding a spot for a conference or for a chapter for an article in so that it will actually help you doing what you're doing, then um, yeah, it is useful. Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, it can be very, very time consuming. And it, it looks like you're just like wasting time. Sometimes I went to, I'm, I've been to a workshop, I will not name it, but <laughs> um, also because nobody knows it, but uh, I've been to a workshop and I feel like it was a very nice experience. Um, I would say personally, because I connected with a lot of people and it was like a nice experience. I saw a city I didn't know. But then academically, I think it wasn't really useful for mm -hmm. me because it didn't really help me do anything. The feedback I got was very, very unhelpful. And as soon as I received it, I was like, I don't know why I'm here, but I'll take the free food. Yeah. <laughs> as PhD students, that's always a plus. Absolutely. Um, I think my case is a bit different in the sense that uh, engineers can have different goals in in respect to their careers. And so if you have an interest in becoming an academic, uh, the publications are important as well. But if you just want to go into industry or, for instance, I have a um, an interest in public policy, then you can reach other audiences or you know, have maybe less of a concern um, of uh, on, on like, you know, making all these links with, with the academic world. What I do like, however, uh, in, in terms of what happens in academia is that you get to, like Marcello was saying, t to talk to a lot of people and get uh, good feedback. And I think that's been one of the things I've found really helpful to be able to discuss work with with a lot of different people and, and talk to whoever you see has a similar interest to yours and then try and, and collaborate. Um, so I guess I've had a, a few of, of these experiences and, you know, I, I guess we're all trying to do some good in the world. So sometimes it's, it's nice to collaborate. Um, Speak for yourself. <laughs> We're just here for the free food. <laughs> I'm just here for free sandwiches, moldy sandwiches. <laughs> um, I can invite you to engineering events one day. Do you have more Don't money? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, so the food yeah, is good. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think generally people would say there's more funding for, for the hard sciences. People would say. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I, I don't want to say it personally because I feel attacked if I do with two anthropologists staring no. at me oh, right no. now. Oh, no, it's just envy. <laughs> exactly. Pure it's envy. To total uh, inferiority complex speaking. Absolutely. Yeah, and envy, yeah. yeah. No. We just want nicer food. 
Uh, do you want to grab a sandwich after this? My treat. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> oh, you should have brought it from Cambridge. <laughs> yeah, we want the fancy stuff. <laughs> what were you going to say? No, um, in, in general, what, um, what I find really useful of, of all these academic experiences is that you, you're developing like really good skills and, and getting to exchange ways of doing things with other people. Or um, one thing that's very nice is whenever you're presenting, you need to learn how to make very clear, concise messages, which is really hard. I think, for instance, one thing you guys are very good at is storytelling. Mm. Um, so we need to become even better at that. Um, and, you know, it's it's on the on the way. So... Um, That's so nice. I don't think there's many hard, quote unquote, hard scientists out there that would acknowledge the need for social science inputs in the hard sciences. That's kind of nice. Yeah, it's refreshing. Um, if it helps, I went to this event uh, on Wednesday with uh, some policymakers and they were also saying that they would like more social scientists in, you know, advising government. So there well, you have it. Show us the contracts. <laughs> <laughs> It's always about the money with you guys. I need the receipts. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing that I I learned from this is to learn to frame your questions well so that you get better answers. And I think this applies to both of us. Mm -hmm. um, and then the measuring of, of the outcomes and, you know, getting to... to to what you really are trying to answer and how you frame that is very interesting. That, in my case, for instance, um, I, I got a, a small grant to do some uh, trip and, and go ask some questions. Um, Can you specify where the trip was? Because yes. I think that's kind of cool. Yes. And also how much money you get. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna, you can't disclose that on air. I won't disclose it. Uh, I did a, a trip to China um, where uh, I wanted to learn a bit more about manufacturing of uh, LED lights. And so I went there and, and spoke with a few companies and, and, you know, tried to learn a bit about this. Uh, I, I wasn't an expert in, in this topic. It's more because it's related to energy use and the services that I'm looking at that I started getting some interest in, in this part. And I guess, you know, uh, from my career, I have an interest in, in China. And so this aligned really well. Thank you very much. Now, another little musical interlude, this time a song that Carla chose called Old Skin by Olafur Arnalds and Arnor Dan. Interestingly, I, I came across this song kind of by chance um, and there's something in, in, the, in the tone, in, in the instruments that just really gets me and, and it makes me feel really calm and it's something that I play a lot whenever I'm like, you know, stressed or, or if I feel I need to, to, to feel a bit better or so. And Interestingly, it's uh, it's a song by an Icelandic composer and producer, which I, I think it's the very first person from there that I know as a musician uh, or, you know, as, a, as an artist in general. But it's really cool. So I hope you like it. Thanks. We'll be right back. Mm -hmm. 
Great. That was really relaxing and kind of soothing. So thank you for sharing that with us, Carla. So now onto the kind of non-academic multitasking. So Marcello, you've already, already hinted that you do two part-time jobs. Yeah. It's, ah. uh, that's quite incredible. I, I really, again, I find it am- admirable that knowing your work, which is excellent quality, that you're able to also work part-time at the same time is, is really something. So. Well, I never said I'm a good worker. <laughs> my part-time job <laughs> how long do i need to withhold this before somebody that employs you hears it <laughs> i'm joking now i'm actually a very good employee um, i would like to the thank employee of the month <laughs> employee of the year, <laughs> the year. oh you you didn't let me finish i was going to say for 12 times in a row <laughs> for the years to come <laughs> No, um, I would say that I've been always kind of working uh, on the side since I started this PhD because in anthropology, not always you find the right amount of funding that you're looking for. So a lot of time has been spent in the last four years. Well, not this year because I was like, I'm just giving up. But um, for the past uh, three years of the PhD, I was always looking for hunting for scholarships which is extremely time-confusing, not consuming, not also confusing at times, <laughs> but mostly time-consuming and energy-draining. And when you spend maybe two weeks trying to get some funding that it might not change your life, but it's just of help, and then you don't even get it, you just get frustrated. So um, although I've done this for three years and the fourth year, because luckily um, the school fees here at SOAS are less expensive, not cheap, but less expensive, I decided to just um, try and give it a go without applying for anything. I have applied for something. I'm going back to Japan on in spring, but that's like on the side. But um, yeah, I've always worked. And um, it's it's interesting because many people would think that if you work on the side, then you're not able to concentrate on what you're doing. But what happened to me is that even when I was really, really busy and I was doing maybe two part-time jobs, I found that the only times that I had available for writing were the times where I actually gave my 100% because I knew that it's now or never. And I just went in and I would be very, very efficient. 
of course, it's not a long term solution because at some point you need to stop and you need to learn that even though you might have, I don't know, economic problems and financial problems and you need money and you need to work and you need to do this and that, you also need to not break down. So you can just collapse at the doctoral school because you haven't slept in four mm. days. So um, at some point you just can do it, but I would suggest that you take some time off if it's possible in some way. So that's my advice. Mm -hmm. In my case, I've, I don't think I've gotten to that extreme of having two jobs, but I have been uh, involved in different activities. Uh, so I've been playing sports um, for both my college and the university. And I've also been part of uh, a couple of committees. Uh, one of them is uh, in, in the college to just like organize the activities there to engage with um, with the college authorities and, and like be kind of a student representative. And the other most recent one is um, organizing workshops for this uh, science and policy organization. So in that sense, I I get this feeling that Marcello was um, referring to where you have lots of things going on and people having expectations from you and you need to uh, take time to, you know, make sure you're also doing your, your PhD work while also trying to, to cope with their expectations and balance out what's important for for you in in the in the long run because all these extra activities can definitely give you something good as well uh, be it health if it's a sport or mm -hmm. or you know like other skills in in all the other cases so i i think it's really enriching um and it lets you you know meet people uh and you know, exchange ideas and just have a, a different perspective apart from the student life, especially the PhD life, which mm. can at times be kind of isolating uh, and, and frustrating at times because, you know, you can find yourself in, in like a tangled point of, of your study and having something to look forward to that you know can get done a bit more easily can sometimes help with that feeling of, of achieving something. Uh, it's also, uh, it can be a, a danger because you can also get too much of that and, and kind of ignore the hard problem that is the PhD life. Um, <laughs> so, you know, just keeping an eye out for, for making them work is important. So we've spoken about kind of responsibilities that might not always be enjoyable, but what do you guys do for fun? <laughs> Like, <laughs> who's got time for fun? <laughs> um, what do I do? Oh my god! And this happens quite often to me. Um, I meet new people, and they always ask me, "So, what do you do for fun?" And I realize that I don't really have a, any time for like do much of fun things lately, which is fine. I'm okay. I mean, um, I will have time when I die. And um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I remember when. Even when I was like in my undergrad and I had a bit more time to do like something fun, I would just like watch movies, read books. I haven't read a novel in mm. such a long time. Also because when I read a novel, I don't know if you ever get it, but 
I feel like I'm cheating. Mm. It's like cheat reading. So because it's not academic and I'm like, I'm just enjoying this too much for it to be actually helpful. Mm. So I kind of I I still have the same book um, that I've been trying to finish reading for the last 10 months. And I read like maybe 10 pages here and there. And then I kind of like it, but I don't want to like it too much, (laughs) which is a weird way of feeling uh, Mm. about fun things. Um, I do watch Netflix. Oh, I've become one of those people who have a Netflix account. (laughs) Welcome um, to adulthood. I know. Now it's all Netflix on sale. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I've started. So that's what you do for fun. Though. That's definitely. I mean, many, like, <laughs> many people can't say they do that. So, yeah. I know. I just like I, I eat chocolate in bed and I binge watch Grace and Frankie. So. No, Grace and Frankie. <laughs> yeah. I sometimes I do free classes at a gym mm. because a friend of mine used to work there. So he gets in for like free classes. So sometimes I join him and I pretend I'm like a yoga mom. And, <laughs> um, yeah, but definitely that. Sometimes I go out and party with my boyfriend when I have time, um, which means when I'm not working in the morning on Saturday and Sunday. But I try to I try to do something fun. I mean, it might be less than before, but yeah, I mm. try to do something. I'm lucky in the sense that Cambridge can be small so that you need to, you know, grab your bike and in five minutes you're doing something already so in that sense well that in the college life always makes the fun happen and so there's always lots of events going on lots of like you know friends gathering and a few activities here and there so mm. that's what I do nice on that note uh, I guess uh, God you both make me feel so guilty because I'm as I said at the beginning of this uh, episode, I'm the I'm the student that thought that doing a PhD is a nine to five job. So for me, after five, it's all fun. Oh no, good for you. Yeah, yeah, but I feel guilty now. <laughs> what am I doing? I should be working. Um, oh, I sl- I usually sleep. Oh yeah, that's the thing I do for mm. fun. I sleep. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. Um, feel you. that's a human need. It's not supposed to be fun. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, because I decided I took a very conscious decision that because in the last like three months I haven't really had days off what I do now like now and then I just like I take a full morning and I just sleep that's my that's my vacation that's my staycation or (laughs) bedcation bedcation I like that hashtag bedcation um one of the non-academic multitasking that I like to do is uh I take advantage of London cultural life this is something that I, I feel really kind of lucky about and grateful about that I live in London and uh, I think it was earlier this year or was it last year already that we went to see Dua Lipa, Carla? Yeah, it was uh, last year I think Wow, I thought I thought it was this it's year just went by so fast. It, It's gone, gone yeah. really fast so um, we've chosen a song by Dua Lipa called Blow Your Mind uh, We'll play that and then we'll be back with some final remarks and more advice
I thought that was um, enough indulgence in pop music for a day. I love that you actually chose Dua Lipa's concert as an idea of like cultural life in London. Which, is <laughs> <laughs> which don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. I do appreciate, but I thought you were going to come up with like the Tate Britain or like something very, very eyebrow, <laughs> highbrow. And then it just like Dua Lipa's concert. It was like... <laughs> I'm sorry, but didn't the mayor of London also go to see her? That says something about her. I mean, we yeah. waited, we waited. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I promise I do do things that are a bit more highbrow than Dua Lipa. We waited like two hours for her because we then yeah, discovered that cool. Sadiq Khan was, um, was in the meeting. audience. Yeah, or, yeah. Or meeting her, or her, his something. daughters were in the audience. So we had to wait ages for her to come. Oh, it was a long meeting. I mean, I like Dua Lipa, but I Not don't it. think we should have waited for her like that amount of time. Also, we were just commenting that we were probably the oldest people there, which was very embarrassing, aside from the parents that were accompanying their teenage daughters. Um, anyway, we've reached the final bit of the show. Incredibly, I think oh. we've... Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> Clapping Let's for yourself. Let's go home. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's vacation time. <laughs> it's vacation time. <laughs> Um, I've really enjoyed our chat. Um, I think what I wanted to get at with today's show was that being a PhD student seems to mean not having a work-life balance. And I think we've kind of hinted at the different ways that we try to achieve that. How do you try to ensure that you do do have one? Marcella, you mentioned you, you try to carve out like those little moments of fun. Yeah, I, I think that maybe working can actually help you. And this is the thing that kind of relates to what Carla was saying uh, earlier about doing something that it's a bit selfless or like mindless. The importance of like a mindless job, I think, is really uh, underestimated for PhD students because we all need to do something. And it's good because you can switch off and you can just do something that doesn't require a lot of being inside your head which we do a lot because we have to think about like what we're doing, what, we, what is the next move. Sometimes you just need something that it's not that. And that's why I kind of enjoy having a part-time job because, I mean, it pays rent because this PhD is not paying rent for sure. But it kind of also allows me to be a better PhD student. So I wouldn't feel, if you, if you have to find a job, I would probably suggest to go for something that allows you to do something different. Because if you do the same thing, so many people are maybe doing tutoring or editors and like mm. journals, which is a good CV wise. It's a very good job, but it kind of feels like you're doing double the job. Like you never, you, you're never off your work. Mm, yeah. And on the other side, if you do something that doesn't really require much of like intensive thinking, it might be able, it might, it might help you be more productive because there is like this kind of differential in your um engagement so um yeah if you want to have a job please do so just make sure it's not going to suck up all of your energy yeah I, i i really think marcello made some really good points i guess my my advantage at the moment like i was uh saying earlier is that i live in a much smaller town so that does change your your life rhythm a bit and and lets you you know not waste so much time going from place to place or the you know you kind of live really close to the people you want to hang out with 
So that's, you know, it makes a, a very big difference. Nice. Any final words of advice? I think this has been a really advice rich episode. I'm really grateful. Um, but uh, just any final gems as we approach, as you say, the light at the end of the tunnel and all of that. Um, any beans to spill? Especially because I feel, as you say, it's so easy to feel overwhelmed and so many PhD students feel overwhelmed. I think that can also be in itself quite lonely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can find some kind of activity that allows you to get in touch with other people, as we were saying, or just like get outside your head and get a bit more in, into your body, which really mm. helps. Um, because as PhD students, we're a, a lot up here, yeah. like thinking and thinking and thinking, and then we don't really live much with our bodies. And I think that doing something that it might be maybe even, I don't know, tiresome, like demanding physically, can actually be a good way of getting back into ourselves and get a balance. So, mm. yeah. Um, and I think my my bit of advice is to choose really what you want to do because life is very demanding and there's always lots going on. Uh, many people have expectations of you, um, even if, you know, they, they can be academic related, they can also be just like, oh, would you like to do this thing? And um, it's, it's easy to say yes to things, but um, I guess my advice would be to consider like what you want to achieve from things and you know take the the ones that make more sense to you as a you know as a as a as a student but also as a person and even there are things that can help you grow personally or or there are things that you can kind of choose to do because you think it's interesting to get a different skill mm. or try out something new so yeah. I think maybe doing a bit more of the, um, wh what did you call it, guilty reading? Oh yeah, guilty reading. So yeah. things that maybe might not be immediately useful to our PhDs, but that give us pleasure essentially. Maybe that's... that's oh yeah. yeah, yeah. if you can, do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, both of you. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is kind of like a public announcement type of thing. I This was the penultimate episode that I will be producing. So I think this is kind of a call out to... Anyone at SOAS who would like to take over this podcast, uh, I am going to submit my thesis in April. So I think, unfortunately, I, I need to give up uh, doing this for the foreseeable future. However, if you'd like to take over from me, I think this would be lovely for, for the project to continue. So get in touch via email or Facebook. Uh, you know where to find me. Thank you again both. You've been listening to The Impostors and Soas Radio, and I will leave you with a song that I find soothing, <laughs> which is called Morning by Francis and the Lights. Never thought I'd see the light again I got something I can see again I think I can finally breathe again 
I feel like I can feel again. 